So this morning, uh, we continue our series through the parables of Jesus by looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This parable shines in an, an incredible light on the scandal of grace. I pray as we work our way through the parable this morning that it will cause us to shine a light at our motivations. I pray that God would encourage us and bless us through his word this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. We read the word of the Lord. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So how many of us are familiar with the humble brag? The humble brag. It's it's when you you make a seemingly modest, self-critical, or casual statement or reference that is meant to draw attention to your admirable or impressive qualities or achievements. We see this a lot in our culture today, and, and many of us do it without even realizing it. Here are a few examples that, uh, that I found on Twitter. Daniel uh, Negreanu, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name uh, correctly. I, I didn't Wikipedia it, though, so that's just how I'm going to pronounce it today. But uh, he, he writes, I'd be the worst at Price is Right. Brought 20K to buy a monitor. It was $350. At Manda Leatherman can vouch for how clueless I am with prices. So Mr. Negreanu is letting us know that he's not very good with prices while also letting us know that he has the kind of income that supports the purchase of a $20,000 monitor. A monitor that actually costs 350 bucks, but hey, he could drop the 20 larger if he needed to. Bitfunk writes, it's always a little, feels a little odd to me when I get recognized randomly in public. I never know what to say. I'm glad it doesn't happen often. Mr. Funk is telling us that he's an awkward guy who doesn't know how to respond to the attention of strangers, which is something we can all relate to on some level, I'm sure. He's also telling us that he doesn't think he should be famous enough to be recognized randomly in public, while at the same time telling us that he's famous enough to be recognized randomly in public. Our last example comes from a person many of us are probably a little familiar with, Rick Warren, megachurch pastor and writer of a purpose-driven church. Rick writes, and I'm truly humbled you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. 
Rick says he's humbled by how many people are looking to him for wisdom and insight. And he is humbled because he doesn't believe he deserves the following he has. And then he decides to let everyone know just how large his Twitter following is by thanking all 200,000 people that are reading that tweet. The humble brag. In our text this morning, the Pharisee excels in the art of the humble brag. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. He claims to be thanking God for his current situation. He claims thankfulness that he is not like certain sinful groups of people. And then he goes on to name some things that he does that are good. Often when this particular parable is told, we, we do our best to exaggerate the self-esteem and haughtiness and cockiness of the Pharisee. We make him into a caricature of pride, nose in the air, looking down on those around him, particularly on the tax collector. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Maybe it's because we have such a sour taste in our mouths when it comes to the Pharisees because of their continual negative reactions with Jesus throughout his ministry. Or maybe it's because we want to distance ourselves from him as much as possible. But let's take a look at this Pharisee as he truly is, setting aside the prejudice that we have cultivated over years of of reading about Jesus confronting Pharisees. The guy's a moral man. He's not a crook. He's not a womanizer. He takes nothing that he hasn't honestly earned. He's faithful to his wife. He's patient with his children and he is steadfast for his friends. He is not only a moral man, a good man, but he's also a religious one. His outward righteousness is matched by his inward discipline. He fasts twice a week and He puts his money where his mouth is, giving 10% off the top to God. I mean, hey, if you know where a dozen or two guys like this are, I know a few churches that would welcome them arms wide open. No questions asked. And all of Jesus' parables about them to the contrary notwithstanding. This is a more accurate depiction of the Pharisee in this story than the caricature that is often painted From a moral sense, from a religious one, this guy is putting most of us, if not all of us, to shame. And there he stands at the front of the church and he prays, Thank you, God, for how you have blessed me. And that I am not like other men. Look at all that I have done. I am so happy to please you with my works. And this resonates with us. This idea of pleasing God with our works. We like the idea that God is grateful for the good things, the moral and religious things that we do, and that we will be rewarded for them. Reward is the currency of our society. You do something good, you do something well, and and you will be rewarded. It's what our culture understands. Mayor Bloomberg, shortly after leaving office, and because of all of the good he felt he he had done as the mayor of New York, had this to say in an interview. He said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. 
I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven and it's not even close. Bloomberg understands the currency of the day. But just because that's how society understands things does not mean that it's true. We do not and we cannot earn our way into favor with God through our good works. We do not and we cannot earn our way into favor with God through our good works. And yet, even if we know this, even if we profess this truth, it can be a pretty simple thing, a pretty easy thing to fall into playing the comparison game. For as you know, if we compare ourselves to someone who we think is worse than we are, then it can start to feel like we're doing pretty good. Particularly if we, like the Pharisee, are comparing ourselves to the other character in this parable, the tax collector. Now, the tax collector is the worst kind of crook. He's a legal one. He's a big operator, a mafia-style enforcer of the Roman, for the Roman government, working on a nifty program that lets him collect from his fellow Jews, mind you, from the people the Romans might have trouble finding, but whose whereabouts he knows and whose language he speaks. He's collecting from them all the money that he can bleed out of them, provided he only pays the authorities an agreed flat fee. So as an example, uh, say, 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 say the, flat, the flat tax that, that a particular individual is owed is 500 bucks, all right? But the Romans don't know where to find everybody because it's, it's Jerusalem, right? It's, it's the land of the, of the Jews. And the Jews know everybody. They know where to hide. They know how to get away from the Romans. So the Romans employ these tax collectors, These men who speak the language, who know where the hiding spots are, who know where these different people are going to congregate. And then they're not really given license. So so this individual, this tax collector can go and find their buddy and say, hey, your tax is a grand. Your tax is is $1,000. And so they have to pay this $1,000 because the Romans will enforce this tax collector's claim. But then the Romans only take 500 bucks. So this tax collector just made $500 for finding an individual. It's a messed up, dirty operating system. And it's legal. It was totally something that could happen in that day. And it did happen all the time. It's why people didn't like tax collectors. So he's been living for years off the excess that he has skinned off the hard work of his own people. He is a fat cat who drives a stretch limo, drinks nothing but the best champagne, and never shows up to a party with at least two $500 a night call girls in tow. Everyone is super nervous and more than a little uncomfortable when this guy and his entourage rolls into the church. And yet we find that this man is well aware of his sin. He is truly humbled by it, and his humility comes without the brag. It comes because of his recognition of his failures religiously and morally. He is so aware of his sin that he doesn't even approach the front of the sanctuary but sits in the back. He doesn't consider himself worthy enough to look to heaven but instead bows his head, pulls his hair, grits his teeth and thumps his chest in his anguish. In his recognition of his failings, he grinds out the words, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is the man 
that Jesus says went home justified before God. This is the man, this tax collector, this legal thief with his life of debauchery is the one that went home in right standing with God. The moral, the religious man did not. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about Jesus talking well of the sinner and poorly of the moral man? This is completely scandalous. This sounds insane to us. This doesn't make a lick of sense. How could this man, how could this complete sinner be in better standing with God than the morally sound, fully religious man? How is this real life? It doesn't make any sense by societal standards. In fact, it is straight up offensive by society standards. How is this real life? Do you see what Jesus is saying in this parable? Are we grasping the scandal of grace? Jesus is saying that as far as the Pharisees' ability to win a game of justification with God is concerned, he is no better off than the tax collector. As a matter of fact, the Pharisee is worse off because while they're both losers, neither of them able to meet the standards of perfection that is required by God's holiness, the tax collector has the sense to recognize the fact and trust God's offer of a free gift. The point of the parable is that they are both dead. And their only hope is to trust in the one who can raise the dead. The good works of the Pharisee count for nothing. They are worthless. He is dead in his trespasses and sins. Any failing, no matter how small, renders him dead, unable to earn his own justification, unable to earn a right standing before God. There is nothing that we can do but trust in the one who can raise the dead. Trust in the one who has defeated death. All we can do, all we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ and his death in our place and his resurrection from that death in which he conquered sin and through which he reconciled us to God. It is belief that justifies, not works. But that's, that's hard for us. Particularly those of us who see ourselves as moral people. Shouldn't our morality count for something? Shouldn't it earn some favor? We're okay with recognizing that we aren't worthy of God's grace, but we have a hard time seeing those we deem as, deem as, as less worthy being granted it. As David Zoll once put it, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that hasn't stopped us from comparing distances. We have a hard time admitting that God's grace is poured out on those that continue to live immoral lives. This becomes clear to us should we follow the characters in our parable around for the next week. The tax collector has admitted his sin and, and as Jesus proclaimed, left the church justified before God. How would we feel if we were to follow him around and see him doing all of the things that he used to do? He's still 
stealing. He's still employing call girls. He's still living an incredibly immoral life. Oh, how we would rather see him start to cut out some of these activities. We want to see him finding a new profession and and kicking some of his immoral practices. We want to send him back to church the next week with the Pharisees' list of achievements in his pocket. Look how well I'm doing. Look how I have improved. Look how good I have been. Look how I am earning my justification. Look how I am making your sacrifice worthwhile. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we want him to return with the Pharisee's list on his lips? The honest answer is that while we understand the thrust of the parable with our minds, our hearts are desperate to believe the opposite. Though with our minds we understand that the tax collector can do nothing to earn a right standing before God, our hearts desperately believe that our actions count for something. Oh, how we long to participate in some manner, any manner, in our salvation. But we can't. And that's the point of this parable. The point isn't to give license to sin. That's not what Jesus is doing here. But let's read who this parable was given to. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This parable was told for the benefit of those who were set on earning their salvation. Who thought they were better than others. This parable was given to those who are trying by their works to earn favor with God. This parable was given to those who think that their works, their moral living, has made them a better person than those who are living immoral lives. This parable was given to me. This parable was given to you. This parable was given to the church. Again, do not misunderstand this parable. It is not a license to sin. It does not say that God approved, that Jesus approved of the life the tax collector was living. Instead, it is a study of the heart. Where is each man putting his hope? How does each man view his works? Again, this parable is not a license to sin. Instead, it is a condemnation. Condemnation of self-righteousness. It is another picture of the scandal of grace. We do not earn grace. We do not earn God's favor. It is given to us. It is poured out on us in abundance because of Jesus. Because of faith in Jesus. Often, when we get to this part of the sermon, the pastor will ask, So, which one are you? Are you the Pharisee or the tax collector? And we know that we're all supposed to say that we're the tax collector. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious since he's the one that Jesus says left justified before God. But when it comes down to it, we know that at different times during the week, the day, even the hour, we are both of these men. 
There are times that I'm feeling good about the work that I've accomplished and I get carried up on the wings of pride and self-righteousness. I can get caught up in feeling like I've accomplished something worthwhile to God through my own merit, my own talent. And there are other times when I am so aware of my sin. When I trudge around feeling horrible and knowing that I am the chief of sinners. Feeling the weight of my failings. Feeling the guilt that overwhelms me as I admit the hurt my immorality has caused the ones that I love. The hurt that I have brought upon those who have been entrusted to me. I was instructed and trusted to bring shelter and instead I exposed those I love to hurt, to pain because of my failings. And most of all, the hurt that I have caused God. Can you relate to me in this? That sometimes you are the Pharisee and sometimes you are also the tax collector. If so, then please join me in bringing all of our pride, our self-righteousness, as well as our hurt and our failures to God by confessing this simple yet oh-so-meaningful phrase. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Church, friends, he has. For his wrath has been sent and spent on Jesus hanging on the cross. And so because of Jesus, he pours out his wonderful, fantastic, scandalous grace out on all those who confess. Who confess belief in Jesus and claim His life and His work as our reason for justification. For our reason for righteousness before God. He has done it for us. What a wonderful, awesome, forgiving, merciful, and gracious God we serve. Amen.